So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wanted if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. Before we start the show, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors. This episode of Smashing Security is supported in part by Recorded Future. They're the real-time threat intelligence company whose patented machine learning technology continuously analyzes technical, open, and dark web sources to give organizations unmatched insight into emerging threats. You should sign up for their free daily threat intelligence updates at recordedfuture.com slash intel. And thanks to Recorded Future for supporting the show. Smashing Security, Episode 38, Gents, Stop Airdropping Your Picks, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Episode 38 of Smashing Security for the 17th of August 2017. My name's Graham Cluley, and I'm joined as always by my gorgeous co-host, Ms. Carol Terrio. Hello, Carol, how are you? I'm wondering how you can see me, actually. I said we're not in the same room. <laughs> I just remember what you looked like. What, from four years ago when we yeah. actually hung out in person? <laughs> <laughs> I'm and doing brilliantly. Thank you for asking. Oh, smashing. And we are joined this week um, by a special guest, investigative journalist Jeff White. Normally, uh, you, you'll see him popping up on Channel 4 News or the BBCs, talking about technology, sort of cybercrimey stuff. But Jeff, uh, hello. Welcome to the show. Um, Hi. You are off to the Edinburgh Festival. You're doing a show called The uh, The Secret Life of Your Mobile Phone. Tell, tell us about yourself, what you do, and, and tell us about this show. It sounds interesting. Well, yeah, we, we've managed to sort of blag our way into the Edinburgh Festival, which is full of, obviously, full of thesps and actors. <laughs> um, so myself and a colleague of mine called Glenn Wilkinson, who's a an ethical hacker or a penetration tester, to give it the more humorous name, um, are off up with our show to Edinburgh Festival. So as you say, normally I, I you know, I cover cybersecurity um, uh, full time. I tend to do the more investigative stuff, the longer term stuff. The problem we had after a while was it, it, this whole thing of personal data. The problem is it isn't personal data. When these mega hacks happen and millions of records go missing and, or when you expose some creepy vulnerability, people look and go, well, yeah, but that's not me. Is it? It's not my phone. It's not my mm. data. Mm. So I realized that to, to really make data personal, you have to make it that person's data. And the only way to do that is in a theater venue, like it with an audience face to face. So we cooked up this thing called the secret life of your mobile phone. We effectively take an audience of people. We hack their phones with their permission, I should point out. <laughs> we give them a significant warning at the beginning about what's going to happen. And then what we do is we track 
live and in real time where all of the data from their phones goes. So we show them which countries it goes to, which companies get it, where they are in the world. We talk them through what a cookie looks like. We show them what cookies they're throwing out. And we also show them how the signals given out by their phones, mostly by Wi-Fi, can be used to kind of profile them and track them and target them. And we also explain, uh, by the way, we explain net neutrality using Mr. Potato Head. That's a high point. Oh, we could have done with that in our net neutrality episode. We needed a way to explain it simply. <laughs> I think that sounds like a genius idea. Are you going to record this? Or are people going to be able to watch it, even those that can't get up to Edinburgh? We try, it's a tricky one. We try to keep the whole thing offline. There are highlights online. You, know, you can watch a sort of clips you know, online. We try to keep the whole thing offline, A, because you know it's our show and we want to try and stop people copying <laughs> it, but because uh, we have a Luddite mentality about copyright. But B, also, the whole thing works when you're actually in the room. So putting it available online, we'd be back to the same problem of thinking, people thinking, oh, yeah, I saw your show, but it doesn't affect me. Everybody who's seen the show so far, no one can walk out of that venue and not think it applies to them because it, it does apply. We have shown it applying to your phone. So it's, it needs to be up close and personal. Cool. And of course, a criminal could do the same kind of thing which you and your ethical hacking friend are doing as well they could set up an evil twin hotspot say in a cafe or an airport people just mindlessly connect to it and they'd be able to see everything which you're seeing in this show i mean it's a very real threat isn't it it, it really is i mean you know as, as glenn wilkerson the guy i do the show with says you know this this hack what's called the karma attack where you impersonate a wi-fi hotspot you know it's it's 10 years old, but it's still working for us. And what's really scary is what you said there is people connect to a Wi-Fi hotspot. Well, actually, no, you switch your phone's Wi-Fi on and it's yeah. automatically going to try and connect mm. without you necessarily knowing. So we just get the audience to switch their Wi-Fi on and that's it. They start connecting to the Internet through our kit. It's, uh, it's bewildering that this still works after this amount of time. Well, it sounds like an interesting show. Go and check out Jeff if you are up in Edinburgh, and we'll put uh, a link in the show notes where you can find out some more about Jeff and his show. What we're really here for is to talk about what's been going on in the wonderful world of computer security in the last week. Uh, we're all going to choose a topic, and... Uh, you should go first, Graham. You should definitely go first. You think so? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I think, first of all, maybe, maybe we just need to quickly touch on what's been going on with Marcus Hutchins aka malware tech if you remember he was the WannaCry accidental hero the man who single-handedly crushed the WannaCry ransomware which was ravaging national health service here in the uk by finding a kill switch for it and of course he hailed very much as a hero by everybody for what he did which was fantastic but well except for the guys who uh, were running the attack <laughs> well, yeah i suppose they weren't so keen but uh, but yeah M marcus got arrested of course after the defcon conference he was in uh, las vegas and he was caught as he was planning to board his plane back to the UK and he's now appeared in court in Milwaukee he's pleaded not guilty in connection not with WannaCry but in connection with another piece of malware a banking trojan called Kronos and there's a suggestion that he well the allegation is that he may have written code which ultimately ended up inside the Kronos malware there was some very odd uh, I was trying to follow this in terms of the comments made in the in the accusation against the allegation against him and also the comments made by mm. by uh, his lawyer in the US and it was it was just very confusing in that there seemed to be contradictory messages about whether he was claiming he'd actually designed this piece of malware if so whether he'd given it to anybody else i couldn't quite work out what the the, the defense was going to be and the defense seemed from the quotes i read anyway seemed to be a little all over the place i'd imagine though if it comes to court you know who knows whether it will or indeed when they'll have nailed that down but the you know 
the weird thing is, I don't think on your own computer designing a piece of software like this is necessarily a crime. If I'm just designing it, no, it, it's the the point at which you give it to somebody else, sell it to somebody else, and I think that will be if this does, as I say, you know, it does come to court, that will be an interesting crux to this. I think it, it is. I, I'm of the opinion as well. Though I've been working in antivirus for 25 odd years, I do believe on your own computer, if you want to write malware, you go ahead and write malware. You yeah, know? the problem though is everyone's connected to the internet. They're not writing it in a you know in a box. But uh, I've read the transcript of uh, the hearing in uh, Las Vegas, the initial hearing, and it is interestingly worded because it was slightly different to how some of the media reports. The prosecutor said that Hutchins had admitted he had written yes. code which had eventually ended up inside the Kronos malware, which isn't the <laughs> could be- isn't the same as saying you wrote the Kronos mm. malware. He could have written a, t- a tiny line of code that just gets fetches something that could be used both for good and for bad. Absolutely. Right? Like it has been plugged in. It could be nothing. So I think right now everyone has to just hold their breath and wait, uh, you know, until we get more information. Because I agree yeah. with Jeff. It's hard to know what's going on right now. The situation right now is he's pleaded not guilty. They've tagged him. He's now in Los Angeles. He works for a security company out there. Um, and he's back online. You can follow him on Twitter as well, where no doubt he'll be... Uh, tweeting away and so that's been one of the big stories of the week but what what i actually <laughs> that wasn't actually what i wanted to talk about what i actually want to talk about was there have been some more brute force attacks against politicians email accounts in the united kingdom in this case yeah uh, what's happened this week is scottish parliament has been attacked staffers at holyrood and uh, members of the scottish parliament have been discovering that people have been trying to crack into their email accounts using this brute force technique, which isn't a sophisticated technique. I mean, you can find automated tools freely available on the internet, which let you submit thousands and thousands of password attempts in seconds. You know, it's like starting with Arnold Aardvark and working your way up. And we saw a similar attack uh, um, a few weeks ago, I think it was back in mm. June, against Westminster, mm. against politicians in London. Isn't it weird, though, that they wouldn't be able just to discover it based on, you know, using software? Wouldn't the government be using software to kind of go, hmm, a lot of traffic coming in from here? So it looks like none of the accounts in this Scottish example have actually been compromised, as far as, far as we've been told so far. But what's happened is some users have been locked out of their accounts. And that actually suggests to me that maybe some of the preventative measures which they put in place to prevent a brute force attack from succeeding actually worked. They detected that something unusual was going on, which would be, for instance, a thousand attempts to log into an account and getting the password wrong 1,000 times. You know, that sort of account lockout is a good idea. And that's a typical countermeasure which can be used against a brute force attack. The problem with account lockout, of course, is that it locks out legitimate users as well. You end up you end up with an almost denial of service attack, don't you, by default, because everybody's inconvenienced, you know. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's why I think it's not a good idea to lock out someone from their account after maybe three attempts. But if you lock out someone after 30 attempts or 100 attempts, or if you slow down the attacks so people can only try a few passwords every hour or progressively make that delay between entering a new password, even a few seconds can make a dramatic difference to slow down a brute force attack. Basically, you're saying they they locked out everyone in order to kind of safeguard the accounts, is what? No, I think I think some of the accounts they people automatically got locked out because there were so many failed attempts to log in. These attacks, I mean, the, the brute force attacks are incredibly noisy. Mm. Yeah. If you look at any institution, you know, whether it's the NHS, government, uh, you know, a local council or a business, you know, how many of these brute force attacks go on all the time? And is it just that it was Westminster and Scottish Parliament's turn? Or, or was it a directed, targeted attack? And if it's the latter, 
Who on earth would do that? I mean, as soon as you get rumbled, you're locked out. Uh, you know, it's exactly the opposite of what people who are interested in getting into an organization want to do, which is to be stealthy, get in, stay in, and stay undercover as long as possible. It's strange, and it runs contrary to the story which we're hearing from some people. Mm. Some people have suggested, oh, this must have been a state-sponsored attack. No, no, no. I'd be uh, stunned, stunned yeah, if that was... Exactly. It doesn't feel like that. There are attempts made, for instance, you know, you get the LinkedIn breach database, the database of passwords which came out of LinkedIn years ago and other big hacks. And you might try those passwords against particular people's credentials. But a brute force attack sounds a little bit dumber. Although, ultimately, you know, brute force attacks, given enough time, will work. It's it's just whether your site or your web service is going to allow a brute force attack to continue. It's a great way to distract attention, isn't it, as well, if you're wanting IT staff to be focused elsewhere. Yeah. Just yes. saying. Just Conspiracy saying. theory number 12. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's a bit like one of these Ocean's Eleven-style heists, isn't it? If you want to steal one thing, you'll divert everyone's attention to the hippopotamus in the lift or whatever it is that you've created as a huge distraction. Don't remember that from the film. I don't don't remember that. No, it's Hmm. a bit rude of me talking about Catherine Zeta-Jones like that. (laughs) Is she even in it? I don't know. I have no idea what I'm talking about here. But there are things you can do to prevent brute force attacks um, and obviously put in more checks, heighten the security if you determine that unusual levels of attempted logins are happening. You could have a capture in place, although captures can be irritating, so you might want to use Google's recapture or even their invisible one. You can demand stronger passwords from your users in the first place. You can have two-step verification. Troy Hunt, who runs the Have I Been Pwned uh, website, and we, we, we should try and get him on the show sometime because we keep on plugging his sites. He's just opened a new product called Pwned Passwords. You can actually download 300 million passwords that they know have already been breached. When people create an account, you can run it past that database and you can say, actually, don't choose that password because we know that one's been breached in the past and it might be a dumb password. And that maybe will encourage people to use stronger passwords. I don't know, but it seems like a a neat kind of idea. Well, once again, people, password managers are a good idea to think about. Password, yeah, because they would generate stronger passwords for you. That's absolutely true. And and long, complicated ones rather than people reusing them. And that. Exactly. There's also some great advice if you want to read more about brute force attacks over on the OWASP Foundation, the Open Web Application Security Project Foundation website. I'll put a link in the show notes where you can uh, read more about that. But uh, yeah, if politicians are, I wonder what they might have in their email, which would be of interest. Oh, yeah, we've not seen any of that in the last <laughs> few years. Well, this is the thing. I, so, you know, with the Westminster attack, obviously 90 accounts were compromised. I was slightly huffy that they put out the uh, line that only, in inverted commas, 90 accounts were compromised. <laughs> They, you know what they actually, do you remember what they said, actually, Jeff? They said, um, less than 1% of the 9,000 <laughs> accounts we look after. So, look, if you're a constituent of that MP, um, hang on, do they get written to to say, you know, sorry, some of your data is personal, very personal data, potentially, of mm. constituents, potentially. You know, imagine the ICO has been informed, but do, do users, do, do constituents get informed if data's been breached? I mean, on the one hand, national security might say, oh, no, don't tell anybody. On the other hand, it's like, well, this, this is people's data. So yes. I don't know what's going to happen with that. We need an investigative journalist to look into yes. this. <laughs> Get on one. it, Jeff. Get on <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, Jeff, what have you got for us this week? Well, I'm, I'm quite interested as ever in the Internet of Things, partly because the phrase winds me up like you wouldn't believe. The Internet 
is things, you know, it's always been the fiber optic cable switches, routers, you know, to say the Internet of Things is glibly assuming that it used to run on kind of hot air and bacon. I know. <laughs> so the Internet of Things obviously is now a headline. And my favorite story from this week of the Internet of Things gone wrong is um, is the uh, digital locks, the, the, the remote access locks. Uh, there's a company called Lockstate, who are a US company. Um, as the name suggests, they make digital locks. These are connected to the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and as such, which is probably quite a good feature, these locks can update themselves over the internet. Unfortunately, it seems that... <laughs> you don't even have to... Start. You could just go dot, 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 dot. <laughs> and the rest was history, yeah. No, normally, we'd be saying, thank goodness, there's finally an IoT device which can actually update itself. <laughs> no, that's what we've been calling for. And so, yeah. but now you're going to tell us... You know, ordinarily, nappies for adults are a great idea. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this this update went out to a set of locks. Unfortunately, the update applied to one set of locks, a newer version, but got applied to the older set of locks and in sort of techies parlance, bricked the locks. The locks just stopped, oh, stopped working. Jeez. This wouldn't have been so bad. It's just hundreds of locks, so it's not the thousands and thousands, uh, but it is a significant number of locks. And what makes it slightly more worrying is lock state are, uh, describe themselves as a global partner for Airbnb. Yeah. Right. Because, of course, if you're trying to let somebody into your flat, you don't necessarily have to be there. You can remote lock, you can give them the code and so on. So this caused problems, obviously, for Airbnb customers who are trying to get into properties. Now, there's a few depressing things about this story. Number one is the fixes that were offered by this company were, well, one of them was take the back off the lock, send it to us, we'll, we'll update it, we'll send it back to you. <laughs> that could take about a week. Are they paying postage? I don't know where they're paying for, you know, hotel accommodation while I'm locked out of my flat. <laughs> exactly. Changes of adult nappies. But, um, but, uh, <laughs> The, the, so so the, the response was slightly lacklustre, a, a lot of customers felt. Also, looking at Lockstate's Twitter feed, I mean, it's in, in the tweets and replies, you know, there's a lot of people saying, oh, God, I'm locked out. What can you do? And, and in fairness, Lockstate mm. were contacting me on Twitter and reaching out fine. But on the front page of Lockstate's Twitter account, and last time I checked their website, there's, there's barely, barely a mention of this. And I just feel, yeah. you know, it's not like nobody knows this has happened. I understand you kind of don't want to make a huge fuss about it. But the fact that on the front page of your website, you don't have a thing saying, look, we're on it. Here's the deal. I, I find that a depressing response in this day and age. And it's all so common, yeah. isn't it? That organizations, you know, they'll have a breach and they may even admit they, they've had a breach, but you go to their website, you go to their Twitter account and you won't find a mention of it or it's so hidden yeah. away yeah. in a PDF somewhere on their website. And there should be, always be a single line or something just saying, yeah, we screwed up, yeah. but look, here's yeah. what we're doing yeah. about it. I've been a crisis PR person for a number of years. And yeah, I think the number one advice is don't hide mm-hmm. your feelings. If you can kind of own up quickly and solve it as fast as possible. I think uh, every, we all like it better. Like Donald Trump did this week over Charlottesville, oh. for instance. He recognised he'd, he'd caused a problem. He'd maybe How long? Mis- 48 hours? He'd misspoke. Yes, but he'd misspoke. But then he came back, Kroll, with a much better stuff. Of course, then he came yes, back again. Yeah, the flim flam. And made it worse. Because he likes but- to get his facts right. <laughs> He does. That's, He's very, yeah, he very keen his, on that. Very, very keen on The that, other yeah. thing, the thing I find most depressing about this entire lock state story is, is you know, thankfully this this system comes with a failsafe. There is a key that can activate the lock, and I just imagined myself getting my brand new lock state lock and fitting its door and thinking, "Oh, there's a spare key. That's great. It's a really good idea. Where shall I store that? I'll store that in my flat." <laughs> Yeah, underneath the welcome mat. <laughs> because it was, if, if you have to carry the key around just in case the lock goes wrong, what was the point of having the digital lock in the first place? It's a nonsense. <laughs> but there is actually on the, on the subject of locks, there has been a there's been a nice fun story, a happy story. 
about a family who were locked out of their Toyota Estima. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, this is uh, uh, this is the Higgins family. Father John lost the key to the imported car when he bent down to tie his son's laces one day. Well, immediately, I'm, um, you know, like, how would you, is he standing above some, a furnace or something? Like, what's, <laughs> how do you, the key goes missing under, under strange circumstances. But it's the only key that will work on this car because they haven't got a spare because it's an imported, I think, a secondhand version. So friendly neighborhood hacker, because uh, he put out, a, you know, a, a Facebook alert for this lost key. Has anybody found it? We're locked out of our car. It's months, I think, they were locked out of the car, just pushing it around like a wheelbarrow. And, um, eventually this hacker says, well, I can probably help you out. They wheel it to a garage where the hacker unpacks the electronic systems behind the car, finds the chip, apparently, on which the key code is stored, and recodes the chip with the new key, and they get into oh. their vehicle. Uh, so... Happy ending, although you then think, well, hang on, how many hackers can do that? I just would have broken the window. <laughs> well, but then you can't start the car. You've got to go a car with a broken window. I'm sorry. I was thinking back to when I actually did that before <laughs> IoT and cars. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a literal yeah. wheelbarrow in that case. People just chuck right. glitter through the broken window and yeah, have people sleeping in it. I'm just feeling sorry for this family who went on holiday with their Toyota Estima, presumably got locked out of the property because it was using one of these smart locks, thought, OK, we'll spend the night in the car. Oh, no, we can't get in that either. You've got all these bricked devices left. What you actually need is a real brick. We should all carry a brick around so we can smash a small window yeah. in order to get into our properties or into our cars. <laughs> I sometimes get, get accused of being the tinfoil helmet man. Um, and yeah. I, oh, you're in good company here. I'm in the, I'm in the company of the brick man. Brick solution. Yeah, you guys could become superheroes. <laughs> brick man. Brick man and tinfoil helmet man. Yeah. That's a terrible <laughs> thing. All right, Carol. So uh, what have you got up for us this week? Well, Bluetooth. I want to talk about Bluetooth. All right. So these days, we've got many devices that have Bluetooth switched on all the time. Um, this is largely thanks to the popularity of like wireless headphones and wearables, not to mention all the IoT devices Jeff was just talking about, or even retail apps, those things that kind of track you around stores, you know, that offer you click and collect or in-store navigation functionality. But I'm thinking that not many people are actually managing the Bluetooth restrictions as well as maybe they should. So we want to just look into how they can do that on iPhone particularly. And I want to talk about AirDrop in a second. Um, so this was inspired by a story in the New York Post earlier this week. This is involving 28-year-old Britta Carlson, who was on a New York train heading to a concert. And uh, her phone makes this weird sound, right? The one that she's not familiar with. Okay. And so she looks at the phone. And there's a message displayed. And it says, iPhone 1 would like to share a note with you. Mm -hmm. She hits accept and was horrified with what she saw. We're on 10 I'm going to quote here. What, what did she say? I'm quoting. It was just, it was just a huge close-up picture of a disgusting penis. Unquote. I don't think we needed the word disgusting. <laughs> Surely they're all disgusting. Yeah. And she said like it really felt like someone had just flashed yeah. her. That's what she yeah. said, right? So, of course, then she's panicking about who sent it. Now, the image was sent, she has an iPhone, so the image was sent via AirDrop. Now, AirDrop is this neat little feature in Apple which makes use of Bluetooth, like to create a kind of peer-to-peer Wi-Fi network between devices. So it's, each device kind of uh, creates a firewall around itself, and the connection and the files that are sent are encrypted. So this is great if you want to share pictures and files with friends and family and colleagues, maybe even you, Graham, right? <laughs> Not so great if the settings are allowing an honest strangers to send you pictures of their genitals. 
Pickles. <laughs> So you can. So there must be a setting somewhere in the phone where you can either accept or. Hey, or... hey! I'm getting to the advice section. Get in there. Just slow down, buddy. Oh, oh sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, so the thing is, uh, uh, the thing is that the Bluetooth tethering range is limited. So that basically means that someone that's using AirDrop has to be nearby. She knew the person who was sort of. Willie waving at her was no, because she was in. She was in. She was in the subway. But yeah, it had to be someone close by, maybe in the same carriage or something like that. Yes, crikey, yeah, right. And that <laughs> nearby penis. It's a nearby penis. Um, penis proximity. So the message she got was just titled "Straw," and it was sent basically by an anonymous stranger. She couldn't yeah. locate the perp, right? And it turns out that Apple's AirDrop doesn't keep a log of these transactions. So. I have seen reports that people saying, oh, anyway, people are saying, like, we can find out who sent these. I can't, I don't see how that's ha- that can happen if, if Apple couldn't do it. If there was so, a national database anyway. of penises, it would be possible to do some sort of penis recognition. Didn't we cover, <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't we have some porn site? It was David site? McClelland, who was a guest a few, yeah, yeah pervert, yes, pervert. who was on our <laughs> show right. a few weeks ago, who was talking all about... A porn site, which was asking you to photograph... Uh, I don't know why he talked about this. But he was talking about a website which is using penises for authentication purposes. That's right. And was asking you to upload images to it. I mean, if if, that, if if Apple worked with that company, presumably, maybe there'd be some correlation which could be drawn. Honestly, though, as a girl... I mean, I don't know, as a girl. You guys tell me if I'm if I'm being, a, a, you know, genderist. But I think I'd find that really disturbing. If You know, I'd probably laugh out loud, but then I'd panic that I'd insulted the perv when I realized that he was just around, right? Peacocking at me huh. and waiting for my reaction. So... Huh. This is this. Uh, this goes back. I mean, toothing. I yes. think it was called toothing back in the day. Because when Bluetooth first came out, you could yeah. send unsolicited messages, unsolicited contact. And I thought that had been for exactly that reason that toothing became this thing where you try and if you heard a shriek at the other end of the train carriage, you knew you'd hit the right spot or whatever with your offensive yep. message or rude message or whatever. But I, I can't believe that they've brought that vulnerability back. Well, there are ways to handle this. There are things that you can do. And I would recommend, I know, you know, I'd recommend you talk to everyone around, check your kids' phones and your family's phones to make sure the setting's like this. So number one, let's talk Bluetooth, right? So Bluetooth, you can basically toggle between on and off. And that basically means I'm discoverable Mm. or I'm not discoverable. Now, Graham and I, before the show, had a little bit of a Barney about Bluetooth because I'm a person who likes to have it turned off because I don't need every supermarket I go into to, if I have my Bluetooth turned on, to know what aisle Mm. I'm going down to try and gamify it better so that I buy things I shouldn't buy, right? I don't need to know that I go down aisle three all the time. So I I find that a bit disturbing. But Graham, you seem to think it's fine. Yeah, sorry, for, sorry, for for the, sorry for that. Framing me. Um, I, I, I do have Bluetooth turned on on my phone, but I'm very careful about what I allow to connect to it. And certainly with AirDrop, which is yeah. the, the iOS technology which has been used to spread these rude yeah. pictures, I, I do use AirDrop. I have a use for AirDrop inside my office. But what I only do is I only allow people who are contacts to send me an AirDrop message. Well, that's exactly the advice, isn't it? So with the AirDrop, so iPhone Mm. users, you can just check your AirDrop settings by swiping upwards on your home phone from the bottom. And if you do, you can see whether your your AirDrop is turned on 
or off, or if it's allowing it for contacts or for any everyone. And if you've got everyone there, tisk tisk tisk, turn that off and choose contacts only. Although contacts <laughs> is also an interesting choice yeah. because I have a lot of people on my phone who whose penises you wouldn't want to look at, whose yeah. penises I don't want to look at. <laughs> Maybe I should have a penis contact list. You I know? think Pinu, Pinu is the plural. My favorites, favorites. <laughs> the Pinu. On, on a more on a more serious <laughs> note, if I can, um, I was going to say I was dying to squeeze that one in there, but uh, but let's move on. The the. Look at the, what's behind this. What's interesting is there's an entire edifice behind the drive behind Bluetooth. Because what's interesting is everybody has switched their Bluetooth. Ah, uh, yeah, they handle that. Batteries, yeah. and it's annoying. Mm-hmm. We now have, yeah, we have Bluetooth low energy. And what's interesting is because Bluetooth is such a short range thing, and because, as you say, they can tell which aisle, not just which aisle in the supermarket, and they can tell which vegetable you're in front of. They can of. see what tampons I'm looking at. It's really annoying. Exactly. Now, what's interesting is the the... The drive among advertisers, advertisers are super, super excited about this in marketers because they can do really localized advertising, yep. coupons for that brand of tampon or that vegetable, whatever. But but in order to do that, people have to have their Bluetooth switched on. Now, at the moment, they can do, if they want, they can do push notification if they change the systems, which which means you have no option. Your phone comes up with a, hey, Jeff, you're in front of the, yep. you know, potatoes, buy some. They, I, th- I feel like the industry is holding back from that because they don't want to creep people out. But yeah. as you start to get Bluetooth headphones, as you start to get Bluetooth enabled by default, th- these advertising methods are going to start coming through. I really think we're going to see a, a boom in this. I actually recently bought an iPhone and I bought the 6S so I wouldn't have to deal with the whole wireless headphones, oh, which would require me to have mm. Bluetooth on all the time. Yes, Bluetooth And on the, the time, reason yeah. Graham, for example, needs Bluetooth on all the time is because he uses it in his car. So he pairs it with his car. Because he's got a fancier mm. car than I have. So there's a lot of technology that they're making it very uh, easy yeah. for people to have it on all the time. And I think there is a cost. The other cool idea here is that you can actually... So when, you're, when your Bluetooth is turned on, you are effectively discoverable. And it might be a good idea to change your phone's mm. name. And you can do that in settings, general, and about. Mm. So like using a code name or initials or something like that that doesn't infer... In, well, in this case, as we're talking about dick pics and for gender or age might be a good thing. If you had John Smith written there, maybe you'd be less likely to get. I think uh, that's a good idea. I, I changed the name of my iPhone to Corel Terrio. And <laughs> well, you're going to get inundated now. Let me tell you. I'm now Let getting t- is yeah. enormous. Bing, 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 uh, bing, 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 bing. <laughs> it is just going back quickly to, to, you know, to the show that we do that we're doing up at Edinburgh. It is astonishing mm. the number of people who name their phones after themselves. Mm. And what, what we do in the show is we show where people, you know, we can find people's work, Wi-Fi networks who know where they work. We can locate their home Wi-Fi. We can also then tell what their name is. So you get a, Yeah, you know, but Jeff, I'm not sure that's fair because I think when you get a new iPhone, it says, what's your name? And then it automatically assumes you want to be called oh. by your name. So I think it actually might oh, be in the setup section. So it's yeah. a good idea for everyone. Just check your phone's name, you that settings general and about on the iPhone. Just see what's written there and maybe change that to make it a little less um, At least about Apple you. during setup isn't asking you for your stripper yeah. name or your porn name. And then it would get, of course, the, yeah. uh, what is it, your mother's maiden name and the street where you used to live, um, which obviously would be useful information yeah. for mm, thieves as mm. well. But the, the, the advice you're giving people, Kroll, <laughs> is if you're going to have airdrop on, make it contacts only. Of yeah, course, this, if you're going to have it on. I say turn it off whenever you're not okay, using Okay, but sometimes there are situations where you want it on. In this particular mm. case, this victim on the New York underground system, she had enabled it so everyone could contact her. I think she was using it like that for her office. Uh, 
wouldn't it be great if yeah. Apple gave you an option of saying, turn it on for everybody, but only for half an hour and then switch back to contacts because you will forget mm. to change it back. I love yeah. that idea. Yes. Call them now. That's a great mm. idea. I'll have a word with Tim. Yeah. No good, worries. Good, good. <laughs> um, now, one thing I'm, I've saw a lot of articles about this, uh, this piece this morning, and there's a lot of in the titles I'm seeing cyber flashing, you know, a trend. I don't think via airdrop it is a trend. Okay. I, from my research this morning, I don't think it's been happening very often. I saw one case in 2015. There was a few in 2016, but I haven't really seen any others. So I think that is mm-hmm. a bit of a hyperbole. However, there is a problem with, and there's many reports of women on dating apps receiving unwanted pics of male junk. So that led to this interesting and related conundrum for me. So we all know that flashing in public is illegal in most places that I frequent. Anyway, in the US, for example, indecent exposure, basically, I think you have to purposely display your genitals in public, causing others to be alarmed or offended. And in the UK, um, you can get a two-year prison sentence if you're convicted under the Sexual Offence Act. Oh, I know. However, it seems to be quite gray as to whether... Sending someone a dick pic, for instance, is considered indecent exposure. So it's like digital problem of cyber flashing. It's it's interesting because it's it's not actually it's not publication or exposure generally, is it, to the public? Mm. You're actually targeting it to a specific person, albeit a stranger you don't know. So I, but there's indecent communications legislation. So if you send someone a picture through the post of your junk, yeah. So maybe that's the legislation that would apply, but you are. I don't think the flashing legislation would apply to yeah. that. Bar- barrack room lawyer here. Just- no, no, but I think, I, I think you may be right. And it's a, that's very, you know, it's going to get grayer and grayer as our world becomes more online. How do we apply the, you know, our old laws to this new world that we're living in? <sighs> Go, very deep. Yeah. Well, yep. thanks for that. Nice Anytime. Uh, cheery note to perk us up. <laughs> hey. Get it? Really, we're going to make innuendos about the word. You up. didn't even laugh at my peacocking joke. I thought that would. I didn't notice peacocking. it. I didn't notice oh, it. Oh, well, I was talking too fast. Okay. Maybe. Above your head. Let's find out who our sponsor is this week, shall we? Who is going to be our sponsor this week? Sponsors. Yeah, we love sponsors. Are you going to interrupt me? I thought you were going to interrupt me. Say, Graham, who's the sponsor? Graham. Let me. Let me. Yes. Hi. Hi, hi. Graham, who's our sponsor this week? Our sponsor is Recorded Future. You know them. They're cool. They do all kinds of cool things. Like? They look on the web. They look on the dark web. They they peruse the internet in its darkest corners, and they work out what are the new emerging threats and vulnerabilities from the world of hacking and cybersecurity, and then they bundle it all up. They wrap it up in a beautiful ah. ribbon and send it to in a free email. If you want to be ahead of the game, I guess you get their free daily email. Of course you do. But first of all, you've got to sign up for it. Otherwise, they won't know to send it to you. They're not that clever. Uh, Go to recordedfuture.com slash intel. And thanks to Recorded Future for supporting the show. Welcome back to the show. And it's our favourite bit of the show. It is what we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Gotta say it, Jeff. Pick of the week. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. It's important. <laughs> I feel cheap. <laughs> you can have a shower after hey, the show. Hey, look, we've plugged your Edinburgh yes, show actually, enough. You can at least say pick of the week for us. Pick of the week. So pick of the week could be a funny story, a book we've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, an app. It doesn't have to be security related necessarily. It can be, though. And my pick of the week this week, I'm a bit of a 
chess fan. I'm not very good at playing chess, but I love chess. And right now, there is an incredible tournament going on. It has been going on for a few months. It'll be going on for a little bit longer. It's going on around the world. But right at this specific moment, the Grand Chess Tour is in St. Louis in America, where they are having a rapid and blitz chess tournament. Oh, I know. I can, I, can, I can hear the excitement right now. No, no, no. It's not boring because normally a chess game will last about four or five hours, which I accept. <laughs> Maybe not everyone will enjoy watching, right? You don't even get cucumber sandwiches. Yes, do you, I bet. It it, it is fantastic, though. It is. Anyway, what's happening right now is a rapid and blitz tournament, Carol. So it's only four hours. No, no, no. So the rapid tournament, you you have about 25 minutes each. And the blitz tournament, I think you have about five minutes each. So this is rapid fire chess. This used to be called bullet chess. Wasn't this bullet chess? There there is bullet, there's blitz, and there's rapid. I don't know a lot about chess. So you're saying... In this rapid chess, someone has five minutes to make a move or finish a game? In, in blitz chess. Yeah, yeah. To, no, no, Five no, minutes to, to make a move? No, no, to the whole game. <laughs> okay. And then okay. your clock's out. So you're, as, as Jeff's just said, there's also bullet chess where I, okay. think it, I think it's just a minute for the entire game. And you've never seen anything like it. It's so exciting. Anyway, there are some amazing players. Leon Aronian, crazy player. He's been doing some fantastic games. Hiraku Nakamura and... The return after 12 years, the incredible Gary Kasparov is back <laughs> from retirement playing chess. Wow. And it's terrific to watch. You can watch this live streaming on the internet. Oh, no, it's not, mate, because you could go to D6 anyway. Knight C6 is king D6. Oh, and Gary is playing oh. Knight C6, queen takes C6. It was made because of queen D7, but now he's, oh, he's winning the queen back. Yes, he's playing rook D6 He's winning here. the queen back. Rook D6, and what's that pawn end game? And the pawn on F4! What's, what's the, the pawn, pawn end game? Look at Gary, he's devastated. The pawn on F4 is winning. What? Oh my goodness. After, after a queen takes D6, king D6 takes an F7, the king is Kindle coming back, back to E7. Face, that's the pawn. Oh no. Game. Oh my. Wow. Wow, that was very exciting, but not exciting in the way that Gary Kasparov's fans would have had it, Yasser. Oh my God, I feel a chill. I feel this stone cold chill. I can't, I am so shocked. You can go and check it out on YouTube. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. You have insomnia. (laughs) Hey, look, I've basically been doing no, don't tell the wife, I've been doing no work all week because I've been watching these broadcasts. Does she like being called the wife? Well, she is the wife. She's not a wife. I can't say a wife. <laughs> Why would I tell a random wife? I'm, t- oh, right, I'm telling my wife. If oh, I, okay. But that's that suggests better. possession as well. That could cause controversy in the household. <laughs> anyway, go and check it out if you're into chess. If you're not into chess, don't well, worry. Well, let's hurry up the show so I can go check it out. All right, all right. <laughs> Jeff, pick of the week. Tell us um, your pick of the week. My pick of the week is, te- is tech-related, actually, but in a sort of vintage tech-related way. Um, ah. The demise of the Love Film DVD by Post Service. They're still doing that? Yes. And <laughs> that just shows, doesn't it, how out of touch you are with, yeah. with the diversity of people in the country. <laughs> you know, my mum, for example, I went yeah. home to visit and uh, she said, oh, should we watch a DVD? And I sort of felt like being invited on the Antiques Roadshow. So, <laughs> and so they've got... So this is basically, you know, Amazon like, nope, streaming is the way forward, DVDs no more. And obviously that, that does throw up the question of what they do with all of the old DVDs. Um, Love Films catalogue covers apparently more than 80,000 titles. Amazon has told the BBC that they will donate the DVDs to charity partners. And I just have this image of, <laughs> of a guy going to Oxfam 
with like bin bags. Well, here you go. Here you go. And Oxfam's Your saying, problem no. now. Yeah. You know what? Actually, that would be amazing for a lot of charities, actually. You know, I, I can imagine that would be a good thing. I don't know. I'm interested in what charities think about this. Because they must get inundated with these old rubbish DVDs. Oh, this is my, here's my All Creatures Great and Small collection DVDs. Do they actually manage to sell any of that stuff? They're, you know? they're probably pleased people have finally stopped bringing in their AOL sign-up DVDs <laughs> they don't have, and things they don't like have that. To now to again, love film ones. Oh, Craig, we'll shift these now, <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah. They don't have to go to charities that they are actually who are reselling. It could actually just go to a place which is helping people, you know, just like be on the shelves. I don't know. It'd be not everyone can afford a Wi-Fi connection. Yes, they, you know, a strong true, one actually. that for streaming. So I don't know. I think it could be really good if they do that. That is true. That is true. But I, 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 I used to love the DVD. I used to love getting those little packages in the and that little thing they had that was kept the discs in, and then you'd return them. And you think, yeah. what's next on my list? Oh, it's rubbish. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was. It was kind of at the time. It felt revolutionary. Yeah. And they had such yeah. cool little envelopes, yeah. didn't they? Which sort of folded over and. Yeah. Isn't it three a month you were allowed for a f- fixed fee? And for, and for, oh. for several years, I managed to keep doing the free trials with different email addresses. <laughs> I probably, we shouldn't say that on uh-huh. the podcast. But, uh, uh-huh. You're the one that led to the demise. Know, so, now the, so now we're all wondering why they've gone kaput. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. Love Film DVD. We know who's responsible. Yeah, I, I think Amazon have a bit of money, though. I, I seem to remember, you know, them being quite yeah. comfortable. He's all right. Yeah. Well, the yeah. main guy does. We don't know about anybody else. Yeah, none of the rest of them are making any money. But yeah. Jeff, Jeff is doing all right. Not that He's doing not right. our Jeff. Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Jeff spelt the wrong way. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So your pick of week is basically the death of Love Film, yeah, is, that, is what death, you're saying? Death of the DVD, generally. Oh, uh, yeah. It is strange, isn't it, that, that that technology is already gone. I like owning stuff. I'm a big owner of stuff, because then no one can take it away from you or change it. So this is a really interesting thing. You know, if we're streaming all the films now, they can change the films, like they did with Star Wars, this big controversy oh, yes. about that. So, so I'm slightly worried by the fact that if the studio says, actually, we're going to recut this film and put out a new version, if I had the DVD, they couldn't take that back whereas now i know this might sound paranoid but i do just you know i like i like owning the stuff it's control it's power yeah crow what's your pick of the week um mine is brain food for those fascinated by science morality culture politics life and this is the podcast called waking up with sam harris now sam harris is uh, no small time fish uh, he's written a number of books. He's considered quite a genius in many, many circles. But I had never listened to his podcast. And someone recommended it to me. So I took a listen as I was on my way to Cambridge last weekend. And after only three episodes, I am delighted and feel much brainier. Which, you know, it's hard for me because I'm, you know, I'm up there on the scale. <laughs> So as I was talking about cyber flashing earlier, I would recommend checking out the episode called Living with Violence, a conversation with Gavin DeBecker. Now, DeBecker is like a three-time presidential appointee. Um, He did pioneering work changing how U.S. governments evaluated threats to the highest officials. He looks after lots of people in Hollywood. He's like, he is the business. In fact, years ago when I was on my way to university, my dad actually sat me down and let me watch, made me watch a PBS episode with him explaining on how women could protect themselves better on the streets on their own so he's a guest on the latest sam harris so he's a guest on the latest sam harris podcast and the whole format is really a kind of conversation between sam harris and experts in their field all right so um i definitely would check it out so check out living with violence conversation with gavin de becker and feel smarter and the podcast is called waking up with sam harris yes okay i can say it a 15th time if you like (laughs) (laughs) oh ouch Burning hot today, burning hot. As you're such hot stuff, have we got any other business for our listeners this week? 
We have a new Facebook group, which Graham is managing beautifully. Um, you can find it at smashingsecurity.com slash Facebook. And you can buy a T-shirt. We were talking last week about a global thermal nuclear war. So uh, the cotton here is good. It will protect you. You can find it at smashingsecurity.com forward slash store. Yes, and I, I checked just before we started recording. Someone has bought a T-shirt and they've bought a sticker. And I think com- the sticker, the T-shirt, combined with a whole bunch of Love Film DVDs, you could create a shelter out of them, I think, if, if there is a nuclear <laughs> winter. Is- dangerously close to false advertising you guys there's so many lawsuits coming your way <laughs> so on that note i think that's just about all we've got time for thank you for tuning in thank you jeff for joining us this week really appreciate it and it's been a pleasure good luck with your show up in edinburgh hope it goes well thank you yes thank you yes best of luck if you at home enjoyed the show please tell your friends let us know what you think you can go to our website smashingsecurity.com or drop us a line at studio at smashingsecurity.com or even leave us a little review on somewhere like itunes that'd be nice wouldn't it Crow? Yes, or anywhere else. Why not? Feedback's good. Feedback is good. Until next time, toodaloo. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Say yeah. <laughs> oh, don't say cheerio then, all right. Just be me then. <laughs> all right. Okay, bye-bye. All right, see ya. <laughs> She never can say goodbye. It's the end of the song. Never can say goodbye. Exactly. Jeff. Jeff got it. It sounds lame. How many people? How many people say goodbye? Well, I just. I, think I just think it's polite. You know, we're a friendly show.